0: Scripture reading. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. I was in the back. He caught me off guard because I was waiting for the Scripture reading. <laughs> but um, if we could all stand. Um, dear Lord, we thank you. We honor you, Lord, because you're worthy and you're, you're awesome. You're a healer. You're a provider. You're a protector, Lord. Um, those who you call your own, Lord, you you take care of us, Lord, um, and we're we're definitely um, grateful, Lord. We know that we're not deserving, O oh Lord, of your grace. We're not deserving, O oh Lord, of your mercy. We're not deserving of your love, but Lord, you came to those who did not deserve, Lord, and gave them grace, Lord, which is undeserved favor. So we thank you for the cross. We thank you for your son that was a sacrifice. The the lamb without blemish, Lord, the perfect lamb that took on the sin of the world. Lord, we thank you that you paid our price for us, Lord, and that we're not left here to figure out by our works and by our deeds how to please you, Lord, but that you put your son on the cross to please and to satisfy your wrath, Lord. And so now you've opened the door for your children, Lord, to live in, in joy, live in peace, live in love because of the hope that they have in your son, in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, as we finish up and we wrap up 1 Corinthians 16, I want to thank you for all 16 of these chapters, Lord, that you've walked us through as a church, as you walked us through as a community, Lord, um, to understand your heart um, as, it, as it pertains to this church, but then also the church at large, even in this, in this day that we live in, Lord. So we thank you and we put before you today, Lord, the word, Lord, let every opinion or word that comes out of my mouth, Lord, be not just my feelings per, per se, Lord, it's not be my opinions, Lord, but everything that comes out of my mouth be pure and holy in according to your scriptures, Lord. Um, let there be seeds planted, Lord, and um, let others come and they water, Lord, and you bring forth the growth, Lord. We pray all these things in the master's name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Maybe Well, actually, while you're standing, i are going to read uh, 1 Corinthians 16. When you have it, say amen. amen. If you don't have it, say Hold up. Hold up. All right, we got a couple of hold ups. <laughs> All right, any more hold ups? All right. First Corinthians 16. Uh, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you. If the Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Nicaea, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subjects such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Acacus, because they have made up your, for your absence, for they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Achilla and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. 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 You may be seated. So we've come to the close of the book of 1 Corinthians. 16 chapters. Felt like it took us like two years. (laughs) But we have walked through this book. Um, We've seen the heart of the Lord through the writings of Paul. Um, we do believe that this word is inspired, God-inspired, and is God-breathed. So every word that's in here is from the Lord himself. Um, we've seen the problems that the Corinthians had. We've seen um, Paul rebuke them. We've seen Paul encourage them. Um, we see Paul, you know, addressing the situation in the Corinthians. So what I want to do this, this morning is first go through this chapter, per se, and then kind of give an overview uh, of all we went through in 1 Corinthians. Also, starting with, the, with this chapter, we see that there's three things as mentioned in this chapter, three resources of the church that should not be wasted. Number one is money. Number two is opportunity. And number three is people, our people. In um, sixteen one verse 4, let's read that again. It says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry a gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So pretty much this is Paul at the end telling the Corinthian church to start a collection. Because Paul was going around gathering money for the poor saints in in Jerusalem. And so he's telling them, you know, start collecting now because when I, you know, pretty much practically... When I come that way, there's no, you know, last minute collecting. There's no passing with the auction. You know, I got $20. We got $20. We need to send them with a, a gift. Yeah. So while we're on the topic of, of, of the one resource, which is money, um, we do understand that money is a resource. I, I do understand that there are people that do it wrong. There are people that dwell on money. There are people that, that you know, they have those auction offerings. Um, And it feels like there's three offerings during the service, or it seems like every time there's something going on, it seems like they're asking for money. But at the same time, we should not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, We do have to understand that as a congregation, as members of the body, that um, the Bible, while it does say for the love of money is the root of all evil, it does say that money answers all, all things. And so Paul is telling the Corinthian church to get this collection going in order for them to, for them to be able to support the saints in, in the body. And I think we should remember that the money that we give in, the offering that we give, is for a good cause. Um, when we're giving into the offering bucket, it's not going to go into the pocket of our pastor, um, unless it's for Sunday and we have that special pastor where we we'll bless him. But it's not going to get him a new car. It's not going to get him a new house. But when you trust your pastor, you have a, trust, a pastor that's trustable, um, that money is going to support the body, the local body, and even when the Lord brings us to that place where we could support the body at large. Um, and so I'm, I'm believing that even at KLM, I know we're at a, I don't want to be the one to, yeah, but we're at a season of the Lord is, is continuing to grow us as a people, continuing to show us open doors for us. Um, I believe we're going to get to that point. We know that's the heart of our pastor where we're not just going to try to support KLM. But we're trying to support the church at large. And so we understand through this passage that money and the offering is something that's biblical and not something that somebody grew up, you know, got up and said, hey, I want money for my church. We're going to pass around these buckets and get some money. But the Paul is telling them, instructing them on how to have collection. Um, and so we understand when we give, it's for a good cause. So we can trust in that. The second resource, and I'm going to kind of, because First Corinthians 16, I kind of wrestled with and I told PD, I was like, it's kind of like a straight to the point. It's not no deep. Like last week I was in here, but I'm sure Cleve had a lot of breathing room to go because the resurrection is crazy. But it's always that last chapter of the book where Paul's like, all right, you know, (laughs) P.S. So so it's kind of like, all right, I can't really preach it because he's already preached whatever he's saying. So I'm just going to read it. So the second resource, though, that we have is seen in verse five through nine is opportunity. Starting from um, verse 5 says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Let's, let's Before I even go into opportunity, do you see the heart of Paul? Paul says, I don't want to come and just pass through. I want to spend time with you. Yes. We have a lot of people in the position of apostle, a lot of people in the position of bishop. Number one, they're going to churches that are already set up. Yes. Now, we already understood from this whole book that Corinthian was a screwed up church. Can I say that? I don't know if that's, that's okay. Corinthian had some problems. They had some issues. Um, and we're going to go and kind of delve with that when I go to the overview about where they were placed it is, you could understand where the city of Corinth, you, you see the problem inside the church is just reflecting when the problems are going around in the, in the city itself. So we see that Paul has an eagerness to stay and spend time with those churches that need help. Not churches where he, when he goes there, the camera is going to be flashing because they know that they were at the mega, he was at the mega church. But he wants to go to the church that's struggling because his heart is not for the ones that are are healed. And we, this reflects what Jesus said to the Pharisees, that the doctor doesn't come, the physician doesn't come to heal those who are healed, but those who are sick. So Paul says, I don't want to just come and just pass through, see how you're doing and move on. I want to spend some time with you. He says, I want to take the whole winter, perhaps. And that's another thing. Um, we, two weeks ago, we did the verse of the sermon on making decisions. Um, and in that light, I've been reading books on, you know, just do something, we're just talking about making decisions, and, you know, not being too spiritual, trying to be too spiritual about making those decisions, and one thing that speaks to me is these words like perhaps, and maybe, um, you know, I know I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent, but you see that it wasn't something that Paul sat down and went in, you know, in his secret place, and God just kind of revealed to him the whole plan in advance, okay, you're going to go this time, you're going to spend a week, and then you're going to go to this place, but Paul walked with the Lord. And so when you're walking with somebody, they're not in front of you and you're following where they're going. But let's say, I don't know if you ever walk with someone on like a street and you're walking with them. You don't know where you're going. The person knows where you're going and you're talking, you're in conversation. And sometimes you may go straight like you're about to cross the street, but then you feel the person kind of turn to the left and like, okay, you want to go that way. But you walk as you walk. You don't wait for them to make a step to make a step. And so that's how Paul walked with the Lord. And I believe that's how the Lord calls us to walk, to trust him step by step. And so there are times, like, for instance, in the book of Acts, where Paul said, I wanted to go to Asia Minor, but the Lord withheld me. So meaning now that's the kind of like the point where he wanted to go this way on the block, but then he felt the Lord pushing him this way. and He said, that's not the way I'm supposed to go. But we're not to sit around and wait and sit because I this. I read this book, actually, um, called Just Do Something. And it's almost like we as Christians, I know I'm I'm bringing it back, of course, but I, I, we as Christians have spiritualized doing nothing. Um, You know, and it's not nothing that out of malicious intent. And sometimes we feel as though that's the spiritual way of doing it. I go to people and I say, hey, how you doing? Um, How's your walk? And they're like, you know, I want to find out. You know, right now I'm in a place. I'm trying to figure out my purpose, figure out what God made me to do. And then I see them a year later. Hey, what's going on? How's everything going? Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out my purpose. And without that one year, what they're doing is doing nothing. They're not getting involved, they're not, and that's why I always my first advice whenever someone says they're trying to figure out their purpose, get involved, join the choir, join the usher's ministry, join whatever, and you'll start to see, okay, this may work out, maybe I'm not that great of a singer, I don't need to be in anybody's choir, but maybe I'm, I love serving people, so maybe usher's ministry is for me, or maybe, maybe I see that I have this... It seems like the Lord or the Holy Spirit is, is, is allowing me to flow in speaking, and maybe I've just discovered that maybe I'm a preacher, or maybe I'm a teacher, but if you're sitting in one place, you'll never find out what you're, you're to do. The Lord doesn't sit around and say, well, you know, I got the secret plan, um, you know, I'm going to make this plan, I know exactly what I want you to do for your life, and I'm going to hide it, and we're going to play, uh, you know, hot or cold to figure out what that plan is. God would not be that gracious of a God or loving of a God if he did that. But God is a God that wants you to trust him. When he gave manna to Israel, he told him, do not store up for the next day. And in light, he's trying to get them to a place where they trust Him. You, tr- you trust the Lord as you walk with him. So that just kind of spoke to me, the fact that he used words like perhaps. This is Paul, the Christian of Christians for me, like one of the hall of faith. Um, he... he He's saying things like, perhaps, I intend, uh, and maybe. Perhaps. So that, that's kind of one point I wanted to touch on. But opportunity. We have to take um, hold of every opportunity that comes to us to glorify the Lord. Um, I was speaking to a friend of mine. Um, I, gonna, I met him maybe a couple years ago at a retreat. And he's a young man. He was hungry um, for the word. He was hungry for you know, books and, and different things like that. And I, I can say, you know, of course, you never say that everything's your fault or per se or take the fault for everything. But I didn't really take the time to really, um, you know, involve myself in his life like I could have. Um, and so now he's with this group of the Hebrew Israelites. I don't know if you ever heard of them. They're the people. African-Americans are the only ones that are saved. Um, the White people are Edomites and they're the devil. Um, and that there's these certain like Haitians or Levites and they have like it all down to a T. And so now he's a part of this group. And you can even tell in conversation, I had a Facebook conversation with him yesterday, and that's what brought me to post. Some of you guys may have seen my Facebook post where I said, never, never, take down, never miss an opportunity to disciple someone, because then someone else will. And I believe that's what it was. He was hungry for the word, and those of us who had the word, who had the truth, didn't take that opportunity. So Someone who had this false gospel took that opportunity. And so you see, Paul is saying that, you know, in verse... Um, 8 and 9 says, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. And what's crazy to me is that he's not saying there are many good things, there are many blessings in it, but there are many adversaries. And even in the building of the church of Corinth, you'll see, and again, I'll talk about it, the church was built because there were many adversaries in the city of Corinth. And so we as Christians, we as, as, uh, as ministers, and believe me, everyone's a minister. Um, I believe in 2 Corinthians where the ministry of reconciliation, those of us who have been reconciled to the Father now have a ministry of reconciliation. So don't ever say you don't have a ministry. We all have a ministry. Um, our ministry is to reconcile the children of God to their father. And so I, those of us who are, who are looking for opportunities, don't look for opportunities where everything seems good. Everything seems like it's already on point. No, God calls us to the places where they need to hear him not where there's already been established. Everybody wants to be a pastor of a megachurch that's already established, but the Lord is calling you to the desert, to the wilderness, to go and speak to them because they're not hearing God. The devil is... Uh, the devil, I'm sorry. <laughs> the devil's not calling you. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 Lord is, the Lord is calling you to places... I, I, seen, I saw this U- YouTube video where they were um, bringing Bibles for the first time to this village that nobody travels to. Like It's on these mountains and... It's kind of weird to me because everybody looks the same so i don't know what goes on in the village but it's this untouched village and this is where the lord is calling us i'm not saying everybody's supposed to be missionaries don't get me wrong but when even in our our local don't go places where the where the gospel's already being preached somebody's already got that covered god is calling you to these places i'm not saying that there's not a place for you to succeed those people that are already in this place but we have this mindset where Let's bring it back to Genesis, where Abraham and a Lot, where they're parting ways, and so Lot looks to the left where there's wilderness, and and then he looks to the right where there's vegetation and there's you know there there's um cultivation already set. It says I want to go that way, and some of us as Christians we have that same mindset. We want to go where it's already established, because a lot of times we have a lot of people in positions and bishops and apostles and pastors where they just want the name. So if you already got the megachurch already set up, now I could just be called pastor such and such of this already church that's established. But whereas we have, we have a lack of laborers who want to go to where there is no church and plant a church. Um, and so I think that was, that was very, um, that was a point that, I, that needed to be brought out was that the second resource that we should not be wasted by the church is opportunity. Um, And the third resource is, and and this is kind of sprinkled with the rest of the chapter, is people. We see, for one, um, he's telling them how to treat Timothy when he comes. Um, That when he comes, in verse 10, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. See, Timothy was young, and we see in another verse, I believe in 1st and 2nd Timothy, uh, where Paul is saying, do not let them despise you because you are young. And so Paul has to set the stage for these people. Treat him like you would treat me. Um, Because a lot of times, you know, when we have people in places, no matter what their quality is, we are called to respect them. Um, I I know of a church personally um, where they're not agreeing with the pastor that they have. And so a lot of them are disrespecting the pastor. But at the end of the day, the person is your pastor. You know what I mean? We're supposed to treat them with love. And even if you feel like they're not fit for that position, there's a way to go about it. Um, And so Paul knew the heart of the Corinthians, especially in the first couple of chapters, you see that they had kind of a partiality to the wise people. You know, Paul had to kind of because, you know, I may not preach like them, but I have the power of the Lord behind me. And I don't need to wrestle or compete with the Aristotles and the and the Socrates of your day. But the Lord is the one that's empowering me. So it overpowers anybody else. And so. You, he has to kind of, I guess he felt, I, if I could put myself in Paul's shoes or sandals, um, <laughs> he, he, gotta, he has to set the stage like, this young man is coming, but don't take him, you know, for granted. Don't think that just because he's young, he can't minister the same way that I have. Believe me, I've, I've discipled him, I've, I've watched him grow, and I would not send him to you if he wasn't equipped. So treat him well. And so, I, you know, you see that with, with Timothy and you see that, you know, he mentions Apollos and now Apollos. Um, felt like it wasn't his will. Um, but you see all these people, with Stephanus and, and, and Achaia and Prisca and Aquila. And, and you see all these people that Paul is saying, do not waste these resources. We have people who we don't know their worth until they actually start working. But then there's a lot of people who don't allow them to work because we already predetermined what their worth is. So you have a lot of people with gifts that are sending on their gifts in the churches, not necessarily because they don't want to move, but people are not allowing them to move. And so we as a body, we as a community, should encourage people's gifts. We should encourage people what they have to offer and to bring to the table. We should never consider anybody to be just a member. Um, I remember back um, at my old church, um, I was in a discussion with, 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 with a, a sister that was there, and we were talking about a certain person, and she said, you know, I believe that God calls some people to just be members. And I look back on it, and I'm saying, that's, that's wrong. We all have something to bring to the table. And while I'm talking to those who may be the ones receiving, I may be also talking to people that are in a position to give, that we all have something to offer to the table. Never think that you are not good enough. Never think that you don't have enough to to compete with a certain person that's in the church, that they've got it going on already, and I don't want to add any confusion to it. I'm just going to sit back, and I'm just going to watch the show. God has brought you here for a reason. If you're part of the local church, there's a reason why God has brought you here. I'm, I'm hearing like a little echo. Not here, and I feel like what PD be feeling when he gets up here. But um, there's a reason why you're here and we are all called to put hands to the plow and to do... So don't sit on what God has gifted you with. He's gifted everyone. He, he has not given gifts to some and not given any gifts to others. He, there's different gifts, but there are gifts, period. Um, and so we see that that's the third resource. So pretty much... That's kind of the, the gist of um, chapter 16. We see, you know, he, he goes and admonishes. He mentions about Apollos. He was urging Apollos to come. His last um, sayings, like be in 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you, be do, all that you do be done in love. Um, you know, he sends out the greetings of verse 19. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Akilah and Prisca together with the church in their house and send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with the holy kiss. Again, this is going with the, um, the idea of, of people. That the fact you remind the local church that there are other people outside the church that are praying for you, that are caring for you. So when we go to different places and we encounter other churches... It's not like it's our church versus their church. We should be praying for each other. He's talking about these are people out in Asia who, some of you reading this letter may not know them by name, but I know them and they know of you and they're praying for you. You know, so keep them in prayer as they keep you in prayer. So we should, again, and this is where I'm going to go with the theme, but this also goes with the theme of unity in the whole book of 1 Corinthians, that outside the church, the people that you may not see, that may hear of you are already praying for us. There are people that KLM have never seen, that have heard of KLM, and have, KLM has never heard of them, that are praying for us. We like to talk about how people pray against us, but there are a lot of people that are praying for us. I believe that, you know, my grandmother who passed in, um, in uh, October we didn't see each other often, but I believe that as there are a lot of grace in my life is because she prayed for me. You know, you know what I mean? You don't have to, somebody doesn't have to come up and tell you I was praying for you for you to count them in the book of praying, but there are people that you don't even know that are praying for you. Um, and so we have to remember that in, in, um, when we think about the body of Christ. So as we close out the book of um, 1 Corinthians, I wanted to kind of touch on some themes that kind of were the threads throughout the whole book. Um, and I, I realized that there were three that really stood out to me. One was unity, one was grace, and one was sanctification. Um, First, let's think about in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. I saw this and it kind of like struck my my interest. Paul is addressing this letter in verse 2. It says, to the church of God that is in Corinth uh, what's Profound about that verse is when you understand what the church of God is called to be and you understand what the city of Corinth is, um, they equate, I was listening to R.C. Sproul in his overview of, of the book, and he equated the city of Corinth to modern day Las Vegas, <laughs> where it was, it was a place, it was by the water, so it was the place of commerce, it was also the place of entertainment, um, where a lot of people came And so you know, when you're not with God, you, your entertainment goes off to that other side. And so he equated it to being modern-day Las Vegas. And so now Paul has had the heart, or these people have had the heart to build the church in this area for that reason. A lot of times people will come and try to figure out where to build the church. They see all this and be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build it the next town, So that way when they want to be finished with Las Vegas, they'll pass through the town and be like, hey, maybe I want to go to church. But Paul and these people had the heart to say, because this place is like this, we need a church here. And so you see that that's where the conflict comes in because now, and we, could do, we still deal with this in 2014, where now the, the culture of Corinth is affecting the church of Corinth rather than the church of Corinth infecting the, the culture of Corinth. And so you see that a lot of the sins that the church of Corinth was dealing with are a lot of the sin that was going on outside the church of Corinth, like the, the, you know, the, the sexual sins where we see in 1 Corinthians 5 with the, with the young man as, as having sex with his father's um, wife. We we have um, you know the the fornication that's going on in First Corinthians six that he addresses, um, and the the way that they treated each other was things that are not characteristic of the city of the Church of God. So I want to go through the this the you know certain points and certain um, kind of flashbacks of how these three themes go on and and um, really want to touch on that. Um, in unity, we see unity, the thread of unity going through from all the way from chapter one. Where the divisions of teaching, where Paul addresses the fact that some say they follow Apollo, some say they follow Paul, some say they follow Cephas, and Paul is saying, listen, we have not um, died on the cross for you, we didn't. We weren't the ones that saved you from your sin, we all follow Christ. And so what happens in the Corinth, they pick this one speaker, like for instance in our day, you know, T.D. Jakes is my guy, so... Anything TDJ say, I will take. Ah, uh, your John Piper. Um, yeah, yeah, You know, your Creflo. Uh, you, you, I, we well, don't deal with those people. This is the guy. And so they only listened to this one person that they chose on listening, and that was their, their they're the only person that they could be fed from. Where Paul is saying, listen. We are all coming under the same power. We are all coming under the same um, authority. So it's the same way you can take from this one preacher, you can take from this other preacher. And just because I may not have the stature of the people of your day, don't take me for granted. And so we see that the division of teaching that he was attacking there. Um, we see in chapter 6 with the issue of suing each other, Christians suing um, uh, Christians. We see that Paul again is saying, do you not understand what this looks like to the people outside the church? that even we can't get it together. And we see that even in 2014, um, where we see in, bringing it back to the Bible, where Jesus' last prayer in John 17, Jesus is praying that we be one as he and the Father one, because that's how the world would see that the Father sent the Son. Right, let's, let's go there real quick. John 17. And we will see how, how important unity is to the body and unity is to the world. John 17, verse 20, it says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So the world believes that the Father sent the Son because of our unity. Um, going down again, in verse 22, it says, The glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, we covered that, and love them even as you loved me. So, I mean, the world understands God's love when they see the love of the saints to each other. In John 13, verse 35, he says that the world will know that you are my disciples by your love that you have one for another. So our unity is important. Our unity speaks volumes to those people who don't encounter God on a weekly basis or on a daily basis, as it should be, um, that we believers do. Unbelievers, a lot of times, their first um, impression or their first interaction with God is with godly people or God's people. And sometimes they do encounter, the reason why I corrected myself, is that they encounter people who consider themselves God's people, who are labeled as God's people, who are ungodly. And so that's why we get quotes, like from Gandhi, the famous quote is, your Christ I like, but your Christians is who I have a problem with. So we're supposed to embody Christ. Um, Kirk Franklin had a song um, a couple albums ago, The Last Jesus. We may be the very last Jesus that anyone sees. We are called to reflect his glory. We are called to reflect his love. We are called to reflect his, his, his um, compassion, his mercy, because sometimes people get a glimpse of what God is through us. That's why you see even with fatherless children, they, they look at it like this. I didn't do anything to my biological father and he walked out on me. Now you want me to believe that this father who I have sinned against still loves me. You see that the, the action of the, the, the natural father reflects their view, the child's view on the spiritual father. And so we have to understand that our walk, the how we interact with each other is very important for those who are outside looking in. So that's why Paul is calling them not to sue each other. Y'all can handle your problems. Do you not understand that we will be judges of this world? So if we can't get it together, how do we look? If we're training to be judges of the world, when Christ comes back and, you know, for the, and he rules for a thousand years, we will be the judges of this world. Us as believers, us as saints. So he's saying if we can't get it together on ourselves, how do we expect to be prepared for that? We are called to judge the world, but yet the world is judging us. Because now we come before judge so-and-so. And now we're on YouTube videos, and we're the like laughing laughingstock because we're singing gospel songs while we're going through our problems. And, and you, you guys have seen the, the, the clips of the, the lady from the Tyler Perry thing. And while we know that she's an actor, nobody else does. So they see it as this church folk are crazy. They're sitting here before this judge, and look at their nonsense that's going on. And a lot of times those cases deal with some things that are sinful anyway. And so we, we have to understand, people want to say, oh, I don't care what people think. Oh, uh, no, it, it's important what people think of us, because what they think of us, they think of God. Right. Do, you, do you want, it's a responsibility. Our unity is not something that is a, a nice thing to add on to being a part of a church, but it's a responsibility. That's why we have to forgive each other. And I, I believe that's where, because I've been dealing with this because a friend of mine has a campaign, um, he has these t-shirts that's out called Let It Go, and it, the whole basis of it is forgiveness, that we have to let it go. Because we, we remember the parable of the the, the, the servant where the, the king calls him, the master calls him in, and he owes the master, you know, this, about a year's wages, they say, in, in money. And so the servant pleads with him, I don't have the money. And so the master, in mercy, goes and forgives him and says, don't worry about your debt, you're good. So the servant walks out and on his way sees another servant who owes him about a day's wages. And asks for the money. When that second servant says he doesn't have the money, he now orders them to imprison him, imprison his family. Like it's it's, it's a wrap, and it doesn't show him the same mercy that was given to him. So of course, when the master hears of this, he calls the first servant back and says, "Who are you? Because I was merciful to you and I forgave you your debt, and yet now this man that you that owes you a debt, you don't show the same mercy." And so we understand that the forgiveness, we forgive because we have been forgiven. I've heard forgiveness taking a whole nother route. You know, forgive not because they deserve forgiveness, but because you deserve peace. We don't deserve a thing. We forgive simply because we've been forgiven. And when we think about the weight, the yearly wages that we owe God versus the little thing that our brother has done against us, are we forgiving a heartbeat? When we really consider this, because your offense to me. Had, is nothing compared to the offense that I had to the father. And he has the right to be mad because he is perfect. And he will never do the things that I've done to him. And so we both are human. And to be human is to err, that they, they say. So I, I can forgive you. Because I have been forgiven so much, I can forgive you. Because I will show the same mercy that has been shown to me. So we have to forgive each other. God has called us to forgive, and this is all work and this is the responsibility of unity. This is why when you realize it's a responsibility, sometimes you have to initiate the forgiveness even when you're the one offended. Sometimes you have to, when the person's walking around like they did nothing wrong, sometimes you have to be the one to say, you know what, you may not know that you wronged me, but I forgive you. Sometimes we have to initiate it, why? Because unity is a responsibility. It's not just a perk, it's not just a a benefit, we had to work this unity thing. It's a job. Because sometimes we don't want to be unified. Sometimes I'm done, like Pontius Pilate. Wash my hands of the situation, I'm done. But we have to forgive. Because it's through our forgiveness that the world will see the forgiveness of the Father to them. So remember that. So in unity, so in, in the suing, he does that. In the surrendering the rights for the brothers, the, the three chapters of myself, Clevon, and, and, and P.D., with 8, 9, and 10, we see that even in surrendering our rights is to work that unity because we don't want you to fall because maybe I am comfortable with doing something that may not necessarily be wrong, but it may affect you, so I will surrender my rights and not do that thing in order for you to be built up. You see, unity is being worked through that. Um, in chapters 8 through 10, um, when he deals with, you know, eating of the pagan feasts and and, and surrendering our rights because it's, oh, it's, not a pro- it's not a problem because you know the gods are not real. It's okay to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. But the one that's looking to you, the weaker brother that he always, always refers to in, that, in that, those three chapters, may be looking at you and may think a whole other thing. So you may be okay in your heart, but you have to be mindful of their heart and their mind. Yes, it may come a day that you may have a conversation about it. But don't try to take every single moment to try to defend your rights. Sometimes you have to surrender them and put them down for the sake of your brother. Chapter 11, we see that the church of Corinth had a problem with sharing with the less fortunate. We see that when they came together and they had communion, that the rich people ate with the rich people and they did not give any food to those who were less fortunate. So Paul is, 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 um, is rebuking them and telling them, listen, you need to care for all. Like we, we look at the, um, the chapter, I think is Acts or, or three, one of the first couple of chapters in Acts where he talks about the church, how the church had the people in the church had sold all they, all they had in order that no one was in need. This is the church that God envisions that no one will be in lack. That where if our brother is hurting, we're hurting. If our brother can't pay a bill, that's like a bill that we can't pay. And so we'll do what we can to help our brother and our sister. Again, working and, and putting together this unity thing. 12 to 14, we see unity in gifts, the one body, many members. We see that people are gifted with different things and it's on purpose because in that we need each other. Because where one may speak in tongues, the other one may interpret, so they need to work together. One may prophesy and it's encouraging, it's it's equipping, it's it's admonishing the the, the brother. We see that the whole issue, and I never realized this until we walked through it. The main issue with this whole talk of speaking in tongues without interpretation thing is because he wants to make sure that we all are empowered. We all are encouraged. We all are, are, are um, um, edified in the speaking of the tongue. It's not necessarily just because of the issue of speaking in tongues. It's because without interpretation, it's only beneficial to that person speaking in tongues. So Paul is saying when we come in together, we need to all benefit from everything that goes on. So he, again, he's pushing this unity thing. So we see unity. Grace. Um, it, Grace honestly takes over this whole book because if you didn't really read who this, this, um, this, this, book, this letter was being written to, if you didn't realize, like for instance, going back to verse 2, that it's to the church of God that is in Corinth, you would think these are people that are unbelievers. And it's amazing to me that in light of all the stuff that they've been going through, in light of all the things that they're doing, these sinful things that they may be doing, like, like not saying anything about this young man that's, that's in sexual sin and, and dealing with the sexual sins themselves and, you know, all these issues, all these sins that are going on, that they are still considered the church of God. My brothers and my sisters, there is no perfect church because we are all imperfect people. That there is grace, even when we messed up, that God is still considering us his children. That God is still considering us his church. We're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. But God has grace for that. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. We're not taking advantage of that grace, but yet we know that there is grace even when we mess up. That God doesn't say, you know what, I'm tired of you, you're not my church anymore, you're not our people because you messed up. But God is saying, listen, I'm sending my servant to send you this letter to correct you. I mean, I care for you because if I didn't care, I would just let you do what you do and you would have went to hell at the end of it. But I have put in my heart, I have put, it, put into the heart of this servant Paul to write this letter because I care for you and I love you so much, I don't want to see you keep going off the deep end. This letter alone shows grace from the Lord. He could have just left them. He could have just kept them in their sin, kept them in their problems, said, you know what, uh, they're going to find out at the end that I was done with them. But yet he says, no, 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 because I care for you, I'm going to correct, correct you. You see, in Hebrews where he says that a father, a son, you know, anybody who had children or anybody who's dealt with children, you correct them because you love them. If you didn't care, let them do whatever he wants to do. Let her do whatever she wants to do because you love them. You know, we hear, you know, us growing up, all of us had parents at one point, you know, yeah, I'm beating you because I love you. <laughs> I mean, some parents may take it to overboard, but in light, disciplining is because they love us. I can't, mom, I can't see you keep going down this wrong path. So if I had to discipline you to get you back on the right path, then I'll do it. He chastises those who he loves. So the fact that... God is putting into the heart of Paul to correct this church, meaning that he cares about them, that they're on his radar. So that that, that grace, for me, is woven in throughout this whole overlaps this whole whole book. The last part that we see, of course, that we see is sanctification. In chapters like chapter 6, where we're talking about fornication, where we're talking about... um, being, even in the, in the fact of being unique out of the place where they are. Because again, we're bringing it back to the Church of God in the city of Corinth. The problem with the Church of Corinth was that they were being too much like Corinth and not so much like the church. And so they were allowing these, these influence to come into the church. The, you know, the, 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 you know, the sexual promiscuity, they were okay with it because this is what they lived with. This is how they lived before. And so Paul is writing this letter and telling them, listen, you're supposed to be different. There are some things that's supposed to strike these people that says there's something different about these people in this church. Yeah, it may be right down the block from the strip club. It may be right down the block from the club. But there's something about this church. These people that come out of there, they're not like us. But yet in 2014, we have a lot of people, they walk right out the church and right into the club. I remember when I was younger, and I, that wasn't too far uh, long ago, but <laughs> I remember parties was on Friday and Saturday. Sunday was left for church. But now we got clubs that are having parties on Sunday nights. And I know of people, personally, who are churchgoers who go to these parties on Sunday nights. And I'm like, I, of course you're not supposed to do it any other day, but it's something about even just doing it hours after you just came from worshiping God. Like You didn't even let a couple days go by for you to go off, but you have planned, I'm going to go to church in the morning, get home, I'm going to sleep, get a nap, then I'm going to get dressed, and I'm going to go to the club that night. <laughs> and so now when people see you, they don't take you seriously. When the world sees you, they're like, listen, you were in the club right with me. They come on church and they see you leading praise and worship. They're like, you were singing just like that to your favorite song while the guy was behind you. Let's be real. We had that, I don't remember that picture. It's not popular anymore. But where they they showed it was a cartoon and it was a guy and he was like this. And, you know, the girl was dancing in front of him. it's like a Saturday night. And then on Sunday night, he's got his hands still up and he's in church. We have to understand we are supposed to be different from the world. The world cannot, we, uh, I think it's in 1st and 2nd Peter, that we should be uh, um, um, in a place where people can't say, you, you know, people can't find any wrong or any fault in you. Of course, you, you're, you have flaws, but they, you should live in a way that people can't come and say, I can't take from you. I can't hear from you because you were doing the same things that I was doing. And I'm not talking about in your past, like before you came to Christ. I'm talking about just last night. Like we literally came in the same car that we used last night to go to the party. Now you want to preach to me. No, you can't work like that. So we see that sanctification was very, very serious in the church of Corinth because the city of Corinth was full of sin, was full of these sinful deeds and, and, you know, people came there to do these things. That's what I'm saying. This Las Vegas comparison is perfect because people go to Vegas, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas because they know that what happens in Vegas shouldn't be happening anywhere else or even in Vegas. Um, we, you know, we, we, we talk about... It is. I'm even now. I'm thinking about it. The fact that in Las Vegas, I think it's weird to me. That in Las Vegas, not in anywhere else in, in the country, prostitution is legal. Yeah. Oh, it's, oh, it's legal. Oh, you ain't know it's legal. Lord, keep the men in here. Um, <laughs> there are no. There are not gonna be any trips to Las Vegas for the next year because we on the sanctification of the KLM. No KLM member will be going to Vegas for a year. But anyway, um. But you see that this is a place where they encourage sinful acts, and that's how Corinth was. They encourage you. Um, I believe it was. I, mean, I believe it was Ephesus. Ephesus is another city where their pagan rituals were these sexual deeds. They would literally have orgies. Like this is this is these sinful. And they encouraged it. This was their lifestyle. It wasn't something taboo for them. This is just how I, I wake up and I think sin. Like this is it. Like. And so now this church is strategically put in this place for this reason, but yet it seems like it's doing the reverse where it is now matching the culture rather than the culture trying to match the church. And so we have to understand that even we as a church in these days, we have to have a standard that we live by. We have to be able to say no to those things that even that we used to do. And it's not in a way to say that I'm better than you, but I've been saved from that. That was an act, that was a deed. I remember I have a friend and he literally did a 180. Like, I'm talking about, he went from Instagram and Facebook pictures almost every night drunk in his room, partying in his room. And all of a sudden, I just looked at his Facebook and all of a sudden it was Bible verses. It was these 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 words, these short devotionals. And I'm like, I'm watching. I'm like, First I'm playing, I'm like, okay, let's see how long this lasts, you know, let's see if this is real, but it kept going, and I'm seeing as he's growing in the faith, Um, you know, Brother Watson, now he's listening to our sermons on on the SoundCloud, you know, he's hungry for the word, the other day even, he's one where the other day he quoted something and it wasn't necessarily biblical, so, you know, I I contacted him, I said, hey, listen, you want to be careful with that type of stuff, and he's open to correction, he's open to growth, and so we see that there's a, he, and when I asked him, I said, listen, what, when I finally saw him face to face, I said, like, what made the change? he's like, I got tired of it. You know, and, and truth be told, a lot of the people that are doing these things that we're seeing, or a lot, it's not satisfying them. And they know. And that's why they get, and they do it again, because they're trying to fill a gap, trying to fill a hole, as some people say, that can't be filled but, with anything but God. There's a longing that they have and it can't be satisfied. They can only be gratified but never satisfied. And so they know this and that's why they keep doing these things. They go from drug to the worst drug to worse drugs to the worst drug until their death because they keep looking for a higher high. They get a high, they like it for a couple times and then it gets tired, it gets stagnant and they have to go for a deeper high or a higher high. Deeper high. Yeah. Oxymoron. But <laughs> but we see that that this and so we had to understand we had to hold the standard to show them that there is a satisfaction that is far, far goes far beyond these things that you're doing. But first and foremost, we have to be satisfied in the Lord. Because we can't come and try to push something that we don't, you know, it doesn't affect us ourselves. We try to sell something that we, like the person who works at a Ford dealership and they're driving around the Chrysler. Chrysler. I don't want to go to you. <laughs> like, that makes me not want to buy a Ford, because if you're not driving a Ford, then I'm not going to want to drive it forward. I'm going to go to the Chrysler. <laughs> I'm going to go to the Chrysler because obviously you who sells for it and you probably get a good deal on it, you chose another brand. But there's a lot of people in church, they don't find satisfaction. They're not living a life of joy or peace of love. And so now they're trying to push all this Jesus and that the person's looking like, but you're the one calling me when you have problems at night. You never talk about the word. You're always restless. You always feel like you're lost. We have to find satisfaction in the Lord. And it's not that hard. The the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. If we delve ourselves in the word, if we if we um, take advantage of these times of community, these times of fellowship, and we really drown ourselves in the Lord, we will find true joy. We will find true peace in the midst of our problems. We will find true love, true satisfaction. So now when we come when we talk about it, it's something genuine. I have a choir that I work with, um, and whenever we, you know, we're getting ready, or we're preparing for this concert, my prayer is always this, that the words that we sing are not just be lyrics off a page, but that they be infused in our hearts because they are true testimonies of our lives. That when we sing songs like, um, for instance, Finish Strong, that we see that the Lord has, you know, has given us endurance to run the race. And so now when we sing the songs, it's not because they were lyrics and they go to the music, because they're, they're, they're music and lyrics literally to my life. So we have to, this word has to be in our hearts. I will hide the, heart, I will hide the word in my heart that I may not sin against you. These, this word has to be infused in our lives. So that way when we talk about it, it's something just natural. It's not something where we got to remember what our pastor said last week. We got to remember what we read on, on Facebook from somebody else's post. But it's something that we, we are living it out. So that way when we talk about the satisfaction, they're already seeing satisfied people talk about satisfaction. Not people who are still looking for satisfaction that they're now pushing satisfaction. Y'all get me, there's a lot of satisfactions in that statement, but we have to know truly what it is that we're talking about. We have to know truly what it is to experience Christ, to know Christ in our lives, to trust Christ with all of our issues. That we have peace that not necessarily mean that we don't have problems, but how we deal with the problems is what's key. Because when we have peace in the midst of the storm, we're sending people that are standing on the word of God and we are trusting him. Even when we don't know how, how it's going to end out, even when we don't know what's going on or why it's going on, we trust the Lord. So when people see that, they don't see people with no problem. They just see people that are still, you know, joyful, that are still um, um, smiling, even with their problems. It's not a fake smile, but it's a genuine smile because they trust in something. And they, that's what kind of peaks them. like, what is it? that makes you still cool in the midst of all this chaos. And so when we really are living this thing out, when we are really showing that we are truly satisfied in Christ, then when we talk about it, people will see the difference. So the church of Corinth had to really make sure that they are sanctified, that they are set apart, that they are not walking and searching and and um, going after the same passions that the world was going after. But they realize and they, they're showing that there is a true satisfaction in the Lord. And that, they, that the, even those people who are in the world can also attain that um, through, through trusting and, and repenting to Christ. And, and that really brings it to, to chapter 15, which, you know, outside of the chapter 16 kind of wrapping things up. But I think chapter 15 was in a good place because all these things center around Christ and the resurrection. Um, the Corinthian solution and ours is found in chapter 15 Christ is the center of our faith by the truth of his resurrection we are united in belief sanctified by its truth and grace is available through that resurrection so we're united the unity comes into the fact that we are all believing and trusting and hoping in this resurrection and Paul said "If if this resurrection didn't happen we are without hope you know we are fools preaching foolishness But yet we are united in this belief of this resurrection, that Christ came, he died, and he resurrected on the third day. The sanctification comes in the fact that we know that our resurrection is up next. And so we're being sanctified, being more and more into the image of this Christ that that resurrected. And grace is available through the cross. That he came, he died, and resurrected, giving us grace, giving us undeserved favor from the Father. So we understand that all these three themes, and I'm sure there's a lot more, but these are the three that stood out to me throughout this whole book of 1 Cor- Corinthians that we walked through, that these are the things that stood out about unity, that we are called to be unified um, in the faith, that grace, the grace of the Lord that is being shown through the fact that the Lord is correcting um, the church of Corinth, and also sanctification. That we're supposed to work this salvation. This is where work comes into the play. This is where the, the 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 you know the killing of the flesh and the, and the um you know the the boosting up or the strengthening of the spirit comes into play. You know the justification has been dealt with on the cross, but the sanctification is being worked out now in our walk in our lives. This is where it comes to, where we're making the decision where we need to not go into that place or we need sometimes even not to even associate with certain people or to limit our association because we have this Christ, this resurrected Christ in this perfect body that is our goal. We are, we are going to be resurrected, that his resurrection is the firstborn of many. And so, in light of all that, um, I kind of I just want to do this, this prayer and kind of close out. Um, if everybody could understand. Dear Lord, we thank you. Lord, we spent this year and a half going through this book of 1 Corinthians. Um, you showed us the ups and the downs um, of this church, Lord. You showed where they've done good and you showed when they've done bad, Lord. Lord, let us not go through this book. Let us not and I have spent all this time in this book, in this letter to this Corinthian church, not realizing that it applies to the church of today. Lord, let us take... Um, note of the errors that were made so that we we don't fall into the same mistakes, Lord. And let's take note of those things that Paul admonished and encouraged them in, Lord, to understand what you're pleased with, Lord. Um, let us not fall into the same traps that the church in Corinthians um, fell into, Lord. Let us seek um, to work out this unity amongst the saints, Lord, this unity amongst the local church and also the unity amongst the church at large, Lord. Um, let us be praying like like these, these people that Paul mentioned in, in chapter 16, let's be praying for other churches that we may not know of. Um, not necessarily just because we know somebody who's a member or we know the pastor or we heard them on the news. But let us also leave a place where we're praying for churches that we may not know, Lord, that they all be built up on your word and on your gospel, Lord. That they all may be um, a, 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 a threshing floor or, or a place where people can grow, Lord, in you, knowing you more, Lord. Um, and knowing your gospel and then knowing what Christ came and did for them on the cross and then trusting and giving their lives to that to Christ and that they may be walking um, lives that are pleasing to you, Lord. Uh, Lord, continue to show us how much grace that you have for us, Lord. That way, when we mess up, Lord, um, like the Corinthian church at large messed up, Lord, that you still have grace that is waiting for us, Lord, that we... Um, like, I've heard uh, said that you've got more grace than you we've got sin, Lord. And that we are your people, we are your children, Lord. And that we can come to you and ask for forgiveness and you will forgive us, Lord. Um, and also on that same note, Lord, teach us to forgive each other. Um, teach us when we, have a, or when we have an issue between each other to be the initiator and to deal with that issue, Lord. Because our unity, Lord, is very crucial. Um, the world will know that you sent your son Um, because of our unity, Lord. And the world would know that you love them because of our unity. So let's keep that on the forefront of our minds that the gospel is not something that we just hear in our individual lives and we go home and we try to grow from that, Lord. But it's it's a gospel that unifies us. Many members, one body, as was said in 1 Corinthians 12, um, Lord, so remind us of unity. Um, keep that on the forefront of our mind. Remind us of Your grace, Lord, and remind us of our sanctification, Lord. Let us um, work on our sanctification. Let us work our our, our salvation, Lord. Let us um, um, renew, have our minds renewed, Lord, um, to be pleasing and acceptable and holy. Unto you, Lord, that you may be pleased with our walk. You may be pleased with our talk, Lord. Let us watch what we say, Lord, not just in the case of curses, Lord, but even if, if our words are breaking down or building up our brother and our sister, Lord. Let's watch our actions, Lord, not necessarily if it's okay, Lord, but how will it, how it will affect our brothers and our sisters, Lord. That maybe there are some things that may be, quote-unquote, okay, but not okay in light of our weaker brother or our weaker sister. Let's keep our minds... Um, on the fact that we are not walking this walk alone. And as even the title of the, the sermon for 1 Corinthians 10. That's not about us, Lord. Um, that's not just about us and you, um, but it's also about us as a unit, um, that we're not just called to you, but we call to your people. Um, so Lord, continue to, to let us meditate on these things. As KLM grows, um, not just in number, Lord, but in depth of knowing you, Lord, let us keep these things on the forefront. Let us not be prideful. Um, let us always be humble. Um, open for, for correction, open for rebuke from the word, uh, so that we be always uh, being sanctified, not just in our individual lives, but also as a local church, to be pleasing unto you as we continue to embody your bride, continue to embody um, the one that you're coming back to, to marry, Lord. So we thank you that you have grace that covers all of our sins, Lord, that covers all of our mistakes, all of our bad decisions, Lord. And that you you are continually with us, and we are still considered your church and your people, um, Lord. Let us continue to not forget what we've learned throughout these 16 chapters. Let us be let them be at our minds, let them be in our hearts, um, and guide decisions that we make in the, in our individual lives, Lord, and even as a church at large, Lord. That we remember the account of the church in Corinth, Lord, and we put that into effect, and we put that. into into place when we make our decisions and as we walk this walk that you put before us. And we pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.